In episode 503 with the incredible Sophia Amoruso, we are talking all about entrepreneurship, how to start a business. We talk about marketing, leadership, biggest lessons in business, plus so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode because I love all things business, entrepreneurship, marketing, and I've been a big fan of Sophia's for a very long time, so it's awesome to have her finally on the show. But for those of you that have never heard of Sophia, she is the founder and CEO of Business Class, which is an incredible online business course. She is a serial entrepreneur, a New York Times bestselling author, and she has forged an unprecedented path in founding and scaling iconic brands and businesses. Now, she has evolved from one of the most prominent figures in fashion to a cultural thought leader, inspiring a new generation of founders, professionals, freelancers, and creatives. Now, she has an amazing story. When she was 22, she started a little eBay store selling vintage clothing out of the back of her car, and she named it Nasty Girl. Now, over the years, she scaled the business to over $100 million in revenue, and she wrote a book, which was called Girl Boss, and it was on the New York Times bestseller list for 18 weeks, which is so amazing. She was also put on the cover of Forbes, and Charlize Theron made a Netflix series based on her life. How cool is that? Now, through her businesses, books, and podcasts, she mentors millions of people, sharing her highs and lows along the way. She is a Northern California girl at heart, and she lives in LA and is a dog mom to three poodles, and she prefers hikes over happy hour. I love this conversation with her so much. And after we finished recording, we ended up chatting for another 45 minutes. She is such a beautiful, big hearted, generous, inspiring, full of wisdom girl boss. That's for sure. You guys are going to love this conversation. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 503. Now, let's bring on the incredible Sophia Amoruso. Sophia, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. I've wanted to have you on for a really long time. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Yeah, I'm so proud of myself because I was listening to another episode of your podcast and she had like three donuts after going to the trainer, I think. And I was like, wow, I had a Breve <laughs> Cortado, which is like small cappuccino with half and half instead of milk. And then I had two hard boiled eggs and a little like kale salad thing that was like pre-made that I got like two days ago. I was like, wow, I'm so I went to hot yoga this morning. I'm like so proud of myself. So you're catching me on a good day. Yay. Well done. Well done. I'm so excited. 
And Amoroso, is that how you say it? It's Amoroso. Every people just mix up all of the vowels. So it's like Omarosa, Amoroso. It's just, it's whatever you want it to be, but it's phonetic. Yeah, you're right. It's similar to Ambrosini. So are you Italian? I am. I'm a quarter Italian. I'm half Greek, a quarter Italian, and a quarter Portuguese. Wow, beautiful mix. Yeah, I'm half Italian, half Australian. Oh, wow. Yeah, I hear the accent. I know that. <laughs> have you ever been down here? I have, yeah. I went in 2016 and I spoke at a business chicks conference in three different cities. I was promoting my second book, Nasty Galaxy, but it was awesome. I loved it. I went to, what's that little beach town? Byron Bay. That was so cute. And went to the Sydney Zoo, which was so fun because there's such interesting animals. Yeah, it was great. Oh, awesome. Yes, the Business Chicks event were amazing. I've spoken at one of those and Emma has been on the show, the founder, and she's a good friend of mine. So next time you're out here, you definitely must let us know. But I love your story. You are wildly successful. I want you to take us back. How did you go from dropping out of college, selling vintage clothes from Goodwill on your eBay to Nasty Girl, to Girl Boss, to best-selling books, to a Netflix series. Like, how did this all happen? Oh, my God. It's a blur. It's exhausting to talk about my own life because <laughs> I'm like, whoa, all that happened. And there's really great memories and there's also not so great memories in there. So, yeah, when I was 22, I started an eBay store called Nasty Gal Vintage, selling stuff from thrift stores and estate sales I had never, I wasn't trying to start a business. I wasn't a CEO of anything. I didn't use the term entrepreneur. I was just like, wow, I love vintage clothing. Look, there's this website. I have a digital camera. Let me give this a shot. And when I started, not everything worked. I sold things that I thought people wanted, but of course, business is giving people what they want. So I studied and I watched what people were bidding on. I looked at at the time, this is like 2007, 2008. So it was like, what's Sienna Miller wearing? Like Australian fashion. It was like Rush Magazine and Preen. And like these Australian fashion was like the thing. And nylon was huge. Yeah, it was an interesting time. So a lot of like boho stuff and baby doll stuff. And did that for did eBay for about a year and a half, then left, started going to trade shows and then introduced other people's brands Eventually, we designed our own, we had a design team at Nasty Gal, did that for 10 years. So first year, I think I did $75,000 in revenue. And I was like, I'm rich. But I wasn't because I just put all the money back into the business because I had to because I didn't have investors. I think I had a $2,500 credit card. And then we did 1.1, no, 250. Then it was 1.1 million. Then it was six and a half. And then it was 12. And that's when investors came in and they were like, what? You're a freak of nature. How did you do this? You know, you have no debt and no investors and really no credit. And they plowed $50 million into the business and they valued it at $350 million when it was doing 12 million in revenue. We were on our way to 28. So they were like, oh, what's 10 times 28? Okay. 10 times revenue. That's how we're going to value your company. And that was all very exciting and strange. And I, because I owned 80% of it was ultra wealthy, but it was like all stock in my company. I took a little money off the table, which thank God I did because ultimately I didn't make a huge amount of money selling the company. 
and I'll get to that, that actually happened while I was in Australia. Headlines were hitting when Nasty Gal fell apart. I'll get there in a moment. And so in 2014, nine years ago, I wrote a book called Girl Boss. And I was just like, writing books is hard or doing anything for me when someone assigns me just as something as an entrepreneur. But I was just like, I have a book in me. Like, I moved to LA. I was like, oh, I, I need to deal with architects. Someone introduced me to an entertainment attorney for some reason. I didn't even know they existed. You know, everyone else moves to Los Angeles to be in like the industry, but I was I was like running an e-commerce business. And he was like, what do you want to do? You want to do a book? You want to do a TV show? And I was like, ew, TV? I don't know. Not for me, at least right now. I'm an introvert. And then I was like, book could be cool. And so he introduced me to a literary agent and I had a drink with her. And I was like, yeah, this is like, what I, here's my story. This is what I could write about. And it was all very straightforward. And so girl boss was really the book that kind of like cracked open the business book section for a generation of women who didn't have the pedigree that Sheryl Sandberg, the COO at Facebook had at the time who wrote a book called lean in a year prior And it was a book that struck a chord because I was a community college dropout who had an eBay store and didn't grow up wealthy and didn't go to business school and just cobbled things together. And ultimately, by the time I had written that book, Nasty Gal was doing over $100 million in revenue. So it was super inspiring to people. And it was kind of like this example of something that no one had really seen done at that time. It was like Zappo. It was, there was no Glossier when I started. There was no away luggage. There was no outdoor voices. I didn't have peers. So I was building in a vacuum. And since then, thank God, building a direct-to-consumer business is so much easier. So that book spent 18 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. It sold half a million copies. And it kind of catapulted me into the spotlight in a way that I had never been before. By the middle of 2016... I was on the cover of Forbes and they called me one of America's richest self-made women, which again, this is all on paper. On paper, they said I was richer than Beyonce, which is like amazing, but like totally not. And because I didn't, that, that stock didn't become. And then they turned the book into a Netflix series. So talent agencies, their job is to basically be like, okay, people like this IP, intellectual property. Like it's this thing, Mickey Mouse, whatever. What else can we do with Mickey Mouse? girl boss. People love the book. Great. Do we make a TV show? Do we make merch? What do we do? And so WME, who was my agency, took it to Charlize Theron and said, Hey, here's this book. What do you think? Cause she has a production company. And she was like, I love it. She read it. She loved it. She was like, I want to make a series out of this. So we got together at the Chateau Marmont in West Hollywood. And we were like, great. We're going to do a show called girl boss. And we're going to take it to Netflix. And we found this amazing showrunner named Kay Cannon. And we took it to Netflix and they pretty much bought it in the room and put it direct to, sent it to kind of series. And that went for one season. So this is, this show came out in April of 2017. So I'm just going to give you a picture of like mid 2016 to like, let's just say April, 2017, because a lot happened. So in June of 2016, I was on the cover of Forbes. Yay. We had done layoffs. My company was struggling, but still cool. You want to put me on the cover of Forbes? Go for it. A month later, my husband of eight months is like, 
I changed my mind. And I was like, what? Where were you? Like, what? Like, you've even been married before. What a hassle. Like, I spent so much money on this wedding. And like, you're unemployed. And like, I supported you. And like, you're leaving. Like, whatever. And it's ultimately a blessing. But that was like, and then by November of 2016, I'm in Australia. I'm on stage in front of a thousand women at a business chicks event as headlines literally at that moment are hitting saying nasty gal is bankrupt. Like while I'm on the stage. And so we're talking about my book and whatever, all the stuff, you know, and it's like, and then we had voted as a board. Yeah. This is like, we need to like, this is what needs to happen because it's a long story of why we weren't able to continue financing the business and there's investor meddling and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so I'm on stage and I'm with Emma and she's like, let's talk about what's happening right now. And so I'm just like on stage in another country. I think it was the day Trump was elected too. It's just like biblical proportion that everything happens in my life. It's fucked up. And so I'm like on stage crying and in front of a thousand women and they're crying. And I was like, I did my best. And it was really sad. Wow. That was the biggest ride. And then I started a company called Girl Boss and I did that for three years. And it was awesome. And I sold it the end of 2019. And I kept going. Wow, 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 wow. And then business class, an online program that you have now. Tell me about that. Yeah. So business class is a super comprehensive digital program for entrepreneurs. So people who have businesses or want to start a business who at the very least have an idea and want to validate it and make sure it's right before they go all in. And so we take people, I teach over eight hours of video and I'm dressed like a Pan Am flight attendant because business class is also kind of like a pun and, or a double entendre or whatever. It's aviation themed. So it's like fly high, fly business class. So everything looks like 1960s kind of airline vibes. And so I'm dressed like a flight attendant from the sixties, teaching entrepreneurship, everything from mapping your competition to Facebook ads and social media to finance all the way to like leadership and hiring. So as business class improves, students have lifetime access to it and they, they have access to everything that happens after they take the course. So if we add new content, if there are new workshops, new conversations with other people, they have access to it because they have access to the lounge and all of the content for life. Mm, I love that. That sounds incredible. You are such a girl boss. You are amazing. Like I'm just like blown away with your story, with everything that you've been through. When you were in high school, did you know that you wanted to be in fashion? Like what were you thinking as you were going through high school? What did you think you wanted to do? Yeah. Nobody told me what a career was. Mm. I went to public school. I hated it. So I homeschooled for the second half of high school I wanted to be a photographer, actually. That's what I wanted to do. But I wanted to be like an art photographer and be like gallery represented, not even a commercial photographer. I didn't have, my ambitions weren't around money. I wanted to be creative. And, you know, little did I know that taking photos of clothes on girls and styling it would be a creative outlet that I really loved and copywriting and learn Photoshop and just tweaking out on every last creative thing that comes with running your own small business. Yeah, it was very unexpected what I wound up doing. 
And no, fashion was not, I didn't follow fashion. I loved vintage and I loved style, but I wasn't like, oh my God, the Balenciaga runway, like 08, that collection. I remember it so covetable. Like, that's just like not my vibe. Wow. But I hired people who did that and they did, you know, design some great stuff. Yeah, they definitely did. Nasty Girl is amazing. I love it. I remember like years ago, I would screenshot images and just like make my own little vision boards with all of your cool images of the girls and their clothes and their outfits. Like I just loved it so much. It was so beautiful. And I would love to hear, you have mastered so many different things, you know, art, design, branding, publicity, marketing, social media, mainstream press, book publishing, online retail. What made you decide to write a book? I just do things because they'll maybe fun and entertaining on the other side. And it can be a little bit reckless sometimes saying yes, what the long-term kind of consequences can be or how things play out because you said yes to something. I thought it was a book that I needed that I wish I had had. And I realized that a lot of the advice that my parents had given me over the years or like, just like cash is king, like work hard, like basic stuff that I was like, no, you know, but then found as an entrepreneur is like, oh gosh, like that basic stuff that because my parents told it to me, I was like, no, I realized was actually like, oh, there's a reason why people say these things. And I think digesting that and packaging it for girls like me who might be like, ew, business or like, oh my God, I'm a brow artist, but like, I didn't know I was an entrepreneur. I didn't know I could do more than this. Like I'm a service provider. I could have like, so I could build so much more. I just wanted other people to see that crazy, unlikely trajectory and the possibilities of what building a business can look like today and that anybody can really be an entrepreneur in their own right. What would you say to someone who has an idea or maybe a couple of ideas how do we know if our idea has legs and then where do we start? Where do we begin? So I think research is really important and that's something we go really deep on in business class. It's like, who else is out there? You know, everybody thinks that they don't have competition, but they may be competing for somebody's time, right? If you're going to start a newsletter business, like someone's going to open another newsletter. Like, how are you going to take that 10 minutes of their morning over the other person, right? So competition can exist outside of industries. And I just go super dude. Like when I'm looking at business ideas, I buy every, you know, for business class, I bought everybody's course. I signed up for everybody's newsletter list. I went on LinkedIn. I looked at who they employed. Who does Amy Porterfield employ, right? What does her team look like? How many people does she have? Like I made friends with these people. We're not really in competition, but we have similar businesses And there are, you can reach out to people, cold reach out to people and just be like, Hey, I like what you're doing. I have questions. Doesn't necessarily, you know, mean that you're going to be copying them. People are so generous with information and all you have to do is ask for it. And then you just have to be generous back. And then I would start small. So your first idea is probably your worst idea, but getting something out there as fast as you can, as ugly as you can, and just seeing if anyone cares about it to validate it is the best way to go. 
because it's very easy to be very precious and say, I have this great idea and you don't know if anybody loves it, right? I love it. I think it's so unique. This is what I think people would love, but a business requires two sides of the equation and other people have to like what you think your great idea is. So standing up a minimum viable product or an MVP is just a matter of sometimes it can be showing someone a prototype that's a deck or like a web design that's not even the actual product or it's giving someone free coaching before you put your program together, right? And getting feedback like as scrappy as possible not being precious about having the perfect brand and the perfect launch. And maybe you'll do that, but after you've done the work of talking to a million people who would be customers, people who are in the industry, people who have similar businesses, understand the landscape, where you can fit in the white space, and then stand up something really scrappy to start. Mm, I love that. I love it. I truly feel like everyone has magic within them. We all have something to share. And a lot of people, and I talk about this in my first book, Mastering Your Mingo, which is that voice inside your head that says your idea sucks. Who do you think you are? You can't start that business. You know that voice. We've all got it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, so many women let that voice stop them from taking steps forward, from launching the business. What advice do you have for moving past that inner mean girl? How do you move past yours? Does she still pop up for you? What has she said to you over the years? I would love your thoughts on this. Oh my God, this is like therapy. What has she said to you? What hasn't she said? Right? I mean, you're a failure. You're a fraud. You're old news. You're not going to be relevant anymore. Nobody cares about what you have to offer. You're getting old. Like your butt's big, whatever. People like that now. Like you're bad at public speaking. You're not a good business person. You're good at brands, but like you're not a good business. And maybe that's true. Hey, but like I know what it looks like. Maybe in execution, I'm like not, I don't know, but I keep going. And then what do I tell myself? I was struggling with this and that inner mean girl was just like, so loud until a couple weeks ago. Do you know Sam Parr? No. Do you know who that is? Okay. So he has a show called a podcast called my first million. It's really good. It's huge. And he's become a friend. And I was just like, what do I do? Do I want to keep doing the same thing forever? You know, I'm 38. What do I want to be doing when I'm 48? There's opportunity in front of me now what's that going to add up to in 10 years? And I've never really thought that far ahead because I was so lucky that just like I kept going and I kept building. And and now I'm at this point where I'm like, okay, what do I want? I actually am like stopping to ask myself that. And I'm so incisive. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, you need to make some decisions. And we got on a Zoom call. And even if they're not the right decisions, committing to something and saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I may not do it right. I don't have all the answers right now, but I'm going to whatever it may be with business class. I'm going to change these three things or I'm going to shift our advertising strategy or, okay, business is down because people are out in the world. The economy's shifted, right? People are traveling. They're less tolerance for risk and maybe starting a business than they did even during the pandemic when they had a bunch of unemployment, you know, checks coming in. So like, how do I 
make this what it was, right? Like, I don't have the answer for that, but okay, I'm committing to that. Okay. I have a partnership with this brand. Great. Do I want to do this other thing? Do I want to do a podcast? Okay. It's in front of me. I can choose yes or no, but I'm going to do it. And I think regardless of whether you feel confident or not, just choosing a direction and saying like, I'm going to do this and kind of assuming that you're capable of it is the thing that for me, at least in the past few weeks, has completely shifted my mindset of just being like, this is my job. Boop, boop. This is what I'm going to go do. And as an entrepreneur, nobody does that for you. And it's really easy to like navel gaze. And that's not really my style, but I just got to a point where I'm like, what do I do? And I'm like, everything ground to a halt. And I'm like, okay, you know, make some decisions. The Harvard Business Review, there's like a statistic that they publish that's like the best CEOs in the world act quickly, whether or not it's the right decision. Just statistically, they have better outcomes. It doesn't mean to be impulsive because I'm also good at that, but make decisions. Mm, Good advice. And pivot and pivot fast. You know, in the Mm -hmm. past for me, I wanted to do this big mastermind and this was about five years ago. I wanted to do this big mastermind and then something within me and I had everything set up, the sales page set up. I'd had everything ready to go and something within me was like, no. And I pulled the pin and I pivoted and I, I did pivoted. the same really, thing. Yeah. And last I, year, like people were like, why are you doing that? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, but I just have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I did the same thing. I had a whole page. There was an application. People applied. I like had someone on my team like qualify them. Then I got on a call with them and I was like, this is how much it costs. And some of them said yes. And then I was like, they started asking questions like, are you going to make introductions for us to like other people in business? And I was like, oh God. And they were like, you sometimes like repost on your stories stuff that business class students post are you going to do that for us? And I was like, Oh my God, like the expectation of access that someone would get of me started to feel like something that would have been really stressful and unsustainable in terms of what I was able to provide. And I would feel really bad about it because I do want to help. I can't promote everyone's businesses and I can't crack open my Rolodex for everybody. And so I was like, this is the scope has already increased to the point before I started it that I, this is, I can't do this. So same thing, same exact thing. Yeah. And I think that in entrepreneurship, pivoting and pivoting fast, it's important. It's really important. And like you said, you know, making decisions fast and something that has shifted within me, I have an almost two-year-old daughter. Like I can't even believe she's almost two. And since giving birth to her, I have felt like everything has shifted. Everything has shifted. Like the whole trajectory of my business, the way that it was going, I'm like, "Mm, now does that light me up anymore? Like, what do I want to do? Where do I see myself? I want more babies. Like, so for me, the decision-making process has been a lot longer than I would have hoped with things. You know, I'm really sitting in it and I'm like, what do I really want? Because I love my work and I love being a mum. How can I dance between the two? I want more kids. Like what does 10 years look like? There's so much to consider. So I'm curious for you, what advice, what suggestions would you have? 
That's the same thing that was slowing me down, which is this kind of like, you can run really fast in your 20s. And, you know, and I did even through like my early 30s. And then you know what comes with success, which is great. But you're like, if I start this thing, okay, wait, down the road, if I have 40 employees, am I going to hate my life? Like, maybe I don't want to start a really huge business, you know, and I've had hundreds of employees. After you have experience, you're like, I find that I have so much more hesitation committing to things because what I do ends up working for a while. And then once it works, you're kind of trapped. So you should be really careful about what you start. So my advice for you or what would I, what would for you? Yeah, go for it for me. Oh, gee. (laughs) There's so many people in this situation. Yeah. I don't have the answer because I'm asking myself, do I want one baby? Mm. You know, like, Mm. okay, I have this great life, but like, what's it going to add up to? Like, Mm. what do I want to be doing when I'm like, if I don't have a kid, am I going to be like on the Amalfi coast, like clinking wine glasses with my girlfriends. That's fun. But like, is it just going to, you know, is it going to be some like sex in the city thing? Like how do you create meaning in your life when you don't have kids? I don't know, but don't have a kid to like retrofit meaning into your life. So, and then I'm like, where do I, you know, I have a house in LA. I'm in Kauai. It's like arbitrary where I am. It's like, I could be anywhere. That's great. But it's also like, God, I wish something needed me to be, you know, I'm a little untethered. I'm not unhinged but I'm untethered in a way that's like, I don't have that answer for you because I'm like in the same place just without the kid. Yeah. Do you feel like we can be girl bosses and still be amazing moms? Totally. Look at Emma. Emma, who's got five kids, business chicks. I mean, look at like every woman I know in business. Look at like, there's so many. And you know, from what I've heard, having a kid makes you really focused and you have to get a lot more surgical with your time and you only make time for things that are meaningful or important. You know, I've gotten good at saying no, even without a kid, but I'm, I'm guessing it's a great excuse. I'm sorry. I can't, you know, I've got a, I've got three dogs. I don't use them as an excuse. You can be like, I have to put my kid, a kid as an excuse. Sounds so great. Yeah. And it's, it's an, it's a beautiful, beautiful excuse. It's a beautiful excuse. Yeah. And you do, you get super focused with your time and very precious with your time and your energy, like super precious and super, you know, you just really value it and you get really clear on what's important to you. You do. And what's not. And Having a kid, it just it just changes everything. Or having children, it just changes everything. But I think having an amazing team to help you execute is absolutely essential. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I think it's totally essential. If you can, if you're in a position to have a team, you know, hopefully at the very least, you and your partner are a team. If you're an entrepreneur, you know, I have two employees, so I also don't have a kid, but I've got a tiny, scrappy team. So I have someone who runs a lot for me, a business class. Her name's Jasmine. She's the community manager, but she does so much more than that. Then I have an awesome assistant named Tyler, but without their support, I nothing would get done. I was without an assistant for a while and it was like, he works on, on business stuff and personal stuff, but without him, my entire life would be spent dealing with like my leaking roof, contractors, just like there's so much, like I live alone 
and my house all just started falling apart at the same time. So my full-time job would have been dealing with my house had he not stepped in. And because of that, I'm able to focus on work. And I'm sure a team, you're able to have a podcast and feel like supported in other ways where you're not doing every single thing. It's just not possible. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about hiring because this is a tricky part of being an entrepreneur, being a business owner. How do you hire? How do you hire well? What are some of the things that you look for? Do you have a process? I've had every process there is in terms of hiring. I'm really good at getting people to say yes, good at hiring great people. And I used to spend so much time with people before I hired them, like a nasty gal. And they were often executives or VPs or, but like we would go to dinner and I would like just spend so much time talking to them. But the only way to know what it's like to work with somebody is to work with them. Of course, it's a huge responsibility to introduce someone to your organization, to take them possibly out of their existing job for them to leave their job. You know, there's a big responsibility in hiring somebody, but at the same time, like on the other side of courting somebody, it's really different what it's like to live with them. Right. So I like curious people. I've interviewed so many people who don't ask questions or who ask uninformed questions, or who obviously haven't done their research on what my business is, that I'm not a fan of. I like recruiting. So I like either working with a recruiter, but mostly I go on LinkedIn and I'll look at so-and-so's business. All right, Amy Porterfield has a course. What are the titles of the people on her team? I'm going to go find other people on LinkedIn that have the same title. I'm going to reach out to them. Oh, they work for whoever that I'm not friends with. Great. And I just like reach out directly and I'm just like a monster and they don't always respond, but I think people aren't used to getting hit up like that individually on LinkedIn and people assume that I have other people doing everything for me, but I don't because I want to look at like every last detail on the resume And then I'll go look at videos of them talking. If there's like YouTube videos and stuff or like anything I can, it's creepy. I'll like really research them. And then I guess my terms of hiring have a job description, right? Like with this small young company, there will be things that are outside of everybody's job description, but you can't hold someone accountable to doing a good job without making really explicit what it is that they showed up to do. You can't even have conversations about that. And so having like really spending time and having a great job description is important before somebody walks in the door. And then if things change, you sit down, you update it, you agree on it. And then that's what you use to measure their success by. Yeah, I love that. And leadership, that is such a big part of being an entrepreneur. And I wasn't taught how to be a leader. I wasn't taught how to run a team. You know, no one taught me this in school. What are your best tips or advice on how to be a good leader? One, just model the behavior that you want of your team. So I used to think that going on vacation, I looked like I was lazy or not focused. But actually, if as a leader, you don't take time off, your team will think that that's what the culture of the company is. And they won't feel like they have permission to do that. Listen to people. People just want to be heard. Even people complaining, it doesn't mean you have to solve every problem for them, but really treat them like people. 
there's a healthy amount of avoidance that I've had to cultivate as a leader. So my nature is to run to the fire. Or if someone comes to me with a question, I'm like, cool, I'm going to answer it. I always thought being avoidant was like a bad thing. And it is in conflict, in relationships, in a lot of places in life. But there is a healthy amount of avoidance that says, you know what? Okay, you came to me with this question about what to do. But actually, it's your job to come to me with solutions. I'm actually going to sit here and say, what do you suggest? If you don't have a suggestion, go find one and come back to me with it. And I'm not going to like answer your question or work on you with this unless you come to me with a potential solution, because that's actually what I'm paying you for. I'm not going to do your job. That was a big one. That'll save you some time. Totally. That's part of whenever someone starts working with my company, I have what I call the rules of the game. And it's just some rules that we have that I get everyone to agree on and they sign and they send it back to me and I sign it. And one of them is like, never come to me with problems. It's like, come with, okay, we've got this issue and here's three solutions. And I think this solution is the best one because, yeah, do not come to me with problems. I've got enough going on. But yeah, I love that you said that as well. Yeah. What are your thoughts on having your face as part of your brand as opposed to completely removing yourself? You know, I built Nasty Gal behind the scenes for years. I mean, from late 2006 to, you know, I wrote the book in 2014 and we raised money in 2012 and there was some press when that happened. So, but there was also no like real personal brand thing happening. Influencers didn't exist in 2000. Eight, like wasn't a thing. I mean, what Instagram didn't come around to like 2012 or something? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I started Nasty Gal in late 2006, so I made the brand feel like a person, and that was a big part of what worked and resonated with people. And you used MySpace, yeah? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I like hacked MySpace and like added every friend of every Australian fashion magazine and every one who followed Nylon and everyone who followed whoever Aaron Wasson. <laughs> whoever was cool at the time. And if I didn't have to put my face on anything, I probably wouldn't. I think it was fun for a little bit. And then it's just like, oh my gosh, if I didn't have to like blow dry my hair ever, I wouldn't. So it's interesting just having achieved so much and then creating content. And this is the wrong perspective, just, but this is maybe by mean girl or maybe just me like, And now I have to dance for an Instagram reel. Like, how has it been reduced to this? I'm sorry. I'm so much, I'm so capable. Like this is work. Like I could build, I could be building something, but that is building something. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is marketing. And that is sharing your expertise. It's how people are publishing. Companies don't have blogs anymore. Right. Like it's through other people that people are finding inspiration and gathering information and, learning, which wasn't the case, right? So as much as I would prefer not to be on camera in general, I know that I have a lot to offer. And if that's the way I can share it, that makes it feel less like work. But I'm much better. I prefer my newsletter. I prefer teaching through business class. It's self-led. So most of it's pre-recorded. You can take it on your own time. Even something like this feels like more intimate, public speaking in stages, I'll do, don't love it. And then I think it's when it's like more than one person looking or something. 
it's like stressful for me, but I try to share as much as I can everywhere the internet will allow me. So, And would you recommend someone who is thinking of starting a brand or a business putting their face out there? Yeah, I would. I think it's important now. I mean, if you're a ceramicist, like people want to see your process. Mm. You're making light fixtures. If you're making jewelry, people want to hear the stories behind what it is that you're doing. It doesn't mean you have to be talking, but it could be like a behind the scenes video of you building something or assembling decor. If you're an interior designer, like, yeah, it's nice to look at pictures of homes that you've interior designed, but like, I kind of want to get to know you and your taste and maybe even your lifestyle. Like, wow, I love the way you furnish home, but like, what are you reading or what are you eating? Or what is this beautiful life that you've painted a picture of for me now so that I can buy into your world. And as an interior designer, now you have an audience. Now you have permission to have your own line at Target, to teach interior design, to whatever it may be that allows you to extend your business into different areas. You being in front of it and sharing your process and creating content is going to be the thing that opens those doors for you in a way that is still pretty new and really powerful. And people follow people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. They want to know the behind the scenes. They want to know you, what makes you tick, like what's inspiring to you. It's, it's so important. What are some of your proudest moments? You are wildly successful. You have achieved so much. What are some of the moments that really stand out for you? I think um, paying off my mom's mortgage was the first thing. So I made some money and in 2012, and the first thing I did was pay off her mortgage. Mm. And that like was pretty game-changing for her. That's beautiful. I'd say like the just the amount of like DMs and still to this day, I wrote that book nine years ago. The amount of DMs I get, people who are still reading it and discovering it, who read it a long time ago, who somehow just followed me or have taken business class or have listened to a podcast I've been on or something I've put out into the world that has been helpful, even if it's not education, just inspiration. Like even sharing our stories can make other people be like, oh, wow, that's possible for me because I had that setback, whatever it might be. To see all of that, to see on our wrap-up calls when students share their experience of business class, crying, holding their baby, saying like this changed my life and like my family and like my business and like on Zoom, it's like, wow, that's really, really powerful. And it makes dancing in front of an Instagram reel feel like complaining about that feel like such a joke and so worth it. Gosh, creating some really great brands. I think I'm really good at making brands. I think I'm really proud of that. Yeah. I think that's like of the things I'm good at, like at the top of the list, maybe. Yeah, beautiful. What's your biggest fear right now? Just like the future. Like it's so easy to future trip. What's going to happen? Is this going to work? Did I make the right decision? Only time will tell. It's so easy to live in the future. So I'd say the future. It's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so important. And, you know, since having my daughter, my future tripping has just gone on steroids because oh, yeah. you're constantly yeah. like, okay, like even just like, I've got to pack this lunch. And you're just like, okay, then we got it. Like you're always in the future, like yeah. thinking. So for me, like my meditation practice has been so helpful to bring me back to the moment. 
I'm curious, do you have any form of meditation practice? I mean, for me, it's yoga. It's hot yoga. So I went this morning to a heated vinyasa class here in beautiful Kauai. It's just like getting out and doing something each day, ideally in the morning, that gets me started. It could be surfing. You know, there's a lot of surfing here. I don't really do that in L.A. I do hot yoga in L.A., but it's just like knocking out that one thing at the beginning of my day. It's not an ice bath and a hot cup of tea and a book and, you know, an hour of journaling and meditation and yoga and an hour walk. Like, you know, you hear people on podcasts who have these like routines where they're like in the sauna and the ice bath and they read and meditate everything before their day starts. I'm just like one thing. I'm proud if I do one physical thing that resets my chemistry and gives me something to be proud of before I start my work day. Yeah, I love that. So refreshing to hear because especially as a mom and a working mom like three hours in the morning is like unless I get up super early which I do I get up a lot earlier than she does so I have the time but I don't put that pressure on myself I don't put that pressure like just one or two things move my body and meditate like if I do those two things I am like perfect like I feel good I've done two things that really light me up And yeah, if I have time to write in my journal as well, I'll do it. If she's still asleep and I have time to do something else, read a few pages of my book or whatever, then great. But no pressure, no pressure. Like I think as women, we put so much pressure on ourselves. There's so much guilt, like mom guilt, like guilt just in general if we don't fulfill our 15 hour morning routine like we need to let it all go and just do what's right for us stay in our own lane and I think especially with social media it's very easy to look at what everyone else is doing and this is why I wrote my book comparisonitis how to stop comparing yourself to others and be genuinely happy there's a whole chapter in there about social media Because it's so easy to compare ourselves and to compare our morning routines. But we really have to come back to what feels good for us. So I'm curious, how do you deal with comparison? I just be the best I can be. And I'm like, I feel so much better today than I did a few days ago. Like, I feel like my skin is better. I feel like I did little things, just a little more skincare, just like, used a quartz gua sha thing like once. Just like those things, it's like I can't be, I don't want to be anybody else. But if I nurture myself, I find that that voice goes away more. That I'm not, if I'm taking care of myself and I'm trying, then I'm not like, oh, but they're doing this and they're doing that. It's like, I think physically and neurologically or whatever, when you're doing, when you're nurturing yourself, that kind of mentality is harder to kind of to have. Yes, absolutely agree. You've dealt with depression. How did you move past that? How long did that last for? Talk to us about that because mental health is such a big thing right now. Yeah. More than ever. Yeah. Talk to us about this. Yeah, I mean, I've had depression probably my whole life. I'm a dark soul. I used to be a brunette. I'm most of my life I've been a brunette and I used to wear a shirt that said blondes have more fun as a brunette. It's like, wah, wah. <laughs> 
honestly, antidepressants help a lot, but also exercise. Like I can be on antidepressants and still depressed, but like, I just find my yoga routine. If I'm not doing it, I'm like, there's so much, way too much shit happening in my head. I don't understand. Like why? But also antidepressants. I went off of them for the last year and I was like good for a while. And then realized pretty recently, actually like, wow, this isn't like, yes, there are things that are existential. Yes. There are things that emotion that are emotional, but this is like way bigger than that. Like the level of like dread and lethargy and lack of motivation and hopelessness and doubt was just like so severe that I was just like, this isn't like, this is a thing. Like this is actually my mental health and there are other things that can help my mental health, but they're like, they're real chemicals in your head. And some people are trying psilocybin and other people are trying, right? Like that's not last time I microdosed, I was like ketamine therapy, whatever. I don't know. I haven't done it, but that's what's really helped me is having something like yoga that grounds me and honestly, the help of a really great psychiatrist to help me find like the right medication, the right dosage, and obviously therapy. Like that's a whole nother person. <laughs> it's like, how much time does it take? To, we, we like are born into the world and we're literally like have to like maintain. We're just like, it's just like here. It's like literally life is like all maintenance. It's really funny to me, but... <laughs> So yeah, therapies, I've been in therapy like most of my life. It's so important to have that support. You know, therapy, a coach, a mentor, a counsellor, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter, but it is so important to have that support. And whether it's weekly or every two weeks or once a month, whatever feels good for you. And it might be a friend, it might be a coach, it doesn't matter, but We don't have to do this thing called life on our own. And it's really interesting because right now in my life, I'm actually looking for a new coach or a new mentor or a therapist. I don't know, whatever. I just want someone in my life that I can regularly call on. Like I have a few people, like I have a Vedic astrologer who's kind of like a bit of a coach to me. And then I have another, my meditation teacher who kind of like mentors me but I'm kind of looking for someone more on a regular basis that I can just check in with, that I can talk to about any topic, whether it's relationship, whether it's parenting, whether it's my mental health or business or whatever, someone who kind of covers all of these areas. Because I also think it's really important, you know, with my husband that I'm not constantly taking everything to him. That's what I was going to say. That's what I just, as like a you know, relationship insurance, like not taking, you're going to take it somewhere. So taking it to someone who's an impartial kind of party is like worth the cost of therapy or a coach or whatever alone, because yeah, you're going to take it to your relationship. You're going to call your mom and she's going to be worried. Mine like had to draw a boundary at some point. I was like, but you're my mom. She's like, I can't take it. I worry about you. And I'm like, well, who do I talk to? I have a therapist, but I can keep going. I completely agree with you. Yeah. And, you know, my husband's like, oh, babe, but you can come to me for anything, of course. Like, and I'm like, yes, and you are my lover. 
and I really want you to stay there in my lover. And yes, of course I'll go to you with things, but like, I can't just like dump everything on him and like vomit everything on him. And since becoming a mother, like for me, it's really become crystal clear how paramount having someone in my corner is for me. I'm searching at the moment. I'm doing a bit of research. I'm trying to find someone. So I think that's a really important piece that you spoke to about the mental health. And then also you mentioned, you know, yoga, movement. So many people say to me, like, why do you work out? I'm like, mainly for my mental health. It brings me so much joy. And dancing brings me so much joy. Jumping on our little rebounder with my daughter brings me so much joy. So moving your body, whatever's going on internally can help shift your state and raise your energy and your vibration very, very quickly. There's so much science on this now. There's so much. So just move your body. And that's why I personally do it first thing in the morning. I get up, I meditate, and I move my body. And it doesn't have to be long. Sometimes it's literally 15 minutes of a quick full body, body weight workout that I just find on YouTube, but it makes such a difference. Yeah. I mean, 20 minutes can change your day. Like you did it. And it's like, yes, there's the, the way that exercise physiologically like changes your whatever vibration or, you know, I'm not a scientist. And then there's also just like a sense of accomplishment. Like it was only 20 minutes, but like I accomplished something this morning. Now, if I don't even accomplish anything during my work day, that's not great. But I started my day with a positive feeling because I said I was going to do something and I did it. And I kept that commitment to myself and it was good for me. And now maybe that has set me on a trajectory for the rest of the day where I can do more of that. Yes. They say... I've heard this so many times with different scientists. They say that even just making your bed first thing in the morning really gives you that sense of accomplishment, that sense of self-satisfaction. So always make your bed first thing in the morning and move your body. Yeah, because you feel good about yourself. You then go into your day feeling accomplished, feeling like good in your body. Yeah, I made my bed this morning and felt really good about it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I'm amazing. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah it's like, I got it. And then when it's like really smooth, like I smooth it right out and I'm like, yes, I am killing it. That I did it at all. I'm like really proud. <laughs> I, I could be better. I want to go back to business because I have a marketing question for you. You know, a lot of people feel icky about marketing. They feel like it's dirty and it's sleazy and it's slimy. Marketing is essential to who get our business out there into the world. What are your non-sleazy marketing strategies? How can we market with heart? I'd love your thoughts on this because you do such a beautiful job of it. Yeah. I mean, first it's just like have fun. Like marketing is fun. Branding is fun. You don't have to be really take yourself really seriously. I have so much fun like writing copy and making stupid puns and writing things that are slightly irreverent, but hopefully not offensive, but like there's a way in that's always a little kind of oblique or not just not directly in to whatever messaging you're crafting that makes it feel completely new and feels like you're almost like a troublemaker in whatever industry you're in. Like there's a lot of online courses, but business class feels really different and the marketing feels really different, the copy and the voice and 
that feels kind of like, yeah, it feels like you're breaking the rules a little bit and you can and should break the rules with marketing. You know, I think if you have conviction for, for your product, whether it's shoes or an online course or, you know, anything you could be advertising, you're doing people a service, right? I have students who join business class, you know, and I have a pretty sizable audience personally, my newsletter, but they're like, whoa, I heard of this through an ad. Thank God I did. Right. They're like, thank you. So when you have the right offer and you put it in front of the right person and it's a really good product, everybody wins, but you want to you just don't want to feel cheesy. Like it, it can feel cheesy, but just make sure it's not cheesy. Just do it in a different way. You don't have to use the formulaic like info marketing, like knock, 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 blah, blah, whatever. I don't know, whatever. Russell Brunson vibes. Like you don't have to do that kind of stuff. There's, you can do things your own way. And if there's going to be someone who resonates with your personality or the personality of your brand and then, yeah, just have fun. Mm. If you're not having fun, there's literally no point. And that's something that's really been highlighted to me a lot since becoming a mom because my work has to be so charming to take me away from my daughter. Like it has mm -hmm. to really light me up. Like this, speaking with yeah. you right now, lighting me up so much. Oh. Like, you know, I get to do my podcast. I get to interview incredibly inspiring people. I get to write books, create programs. I get to teach, mentor, coach, speak on stages. All of those things light me up so much. And it has to be really good to take me away from her. Yeah. And then there's the things that I don't really like doing that much. So it's like delegate. That's where you delegate. That's where you delegate to your team so that you can stay in that zone of genius. And yeah, if you're not having fun with it, if you're not having fun with the marketing, shift it, make it fun, make it playful. Or hire someone else to do it. If it's really my answer to that question, you try that and you're just like, still doesn't work for me, hire someone. <laughs> What are your thoughts on hiring and going out to your tribes, going out to your community, as opposed to going to a recruiter or through LinkedIn? I'd love your thoughts on the comparison. Have you done both? And what have you noticed? I've hired a lot of people off of Instagram, LinkedIn. Recruiters, I've really only worked with for executive searches. Mm. And I don't have any executives working for me. And I haven't worked with one of them in a long time. And then for assistants. So in LA, there's a whole industry of like personal assistants, executive, you know, it's like everyone, every whatever, celebrity, whatever. It's just like a part of the industry. And there's a really great recruiter in Los Angeles. She has something called the Grapevine Agency. And I've worked with her so many times, so many times over like 10 years. And that's where I found great assistants. You know, Instagram, you can find great people, right? Like I have an audience, like the people who love what I do or who are interested in entrepreneurship might be someone who's great to work for my company. I think the danger for me is fan types and the expectation that they're going to join the girl boss's company and it's going to be a utopia and they're going to learn so much and they're going to be my protege and it's going to all be great because my book inspired them. And it's like, it's a job. Nobody working for me feels like it's like a slog. Like my two, you know, my team is super happy. It's so sweet. And like, 
it feels so good, but there is an expectation of like, wow, I'm going to work for the girl boss. This is, and it's just not always, it's like, it can be a grind, right? You're going to do things that you don't really want to do. I'm going to disagree with you. There's going to be times that I don't like what your, you know, your work, or maybe it's just, I'm not like a motivational speaker inspiring my team, like all the time, like I'm getting work done, but because of that, all of that stuff for some people, largely maybe people from my Instagram, that can be like an expectation. I haven't encountered a lot of it, but I'm, I'm very like skeptical of it and I try to avoid it. Yeah. It's tricky. Like when there's the fans that just want that and yeah, whether they're really really going to go for it. However, I have had experiences with both sides where I've gone out to my social media and I have hired fans and it hadn't worked out, but then I have also hired other people from my Instagram and it has been amazing. The current girl who's working for me now, she is amazing and I just am so happy. This is my assistant. So Yeah. yeah, I'm just so happy and that was through Instagram. No matter where you find someone, right? It's like, it's a risk. It's an exchange. You don't know if it's going to work out until you work with somebody and everybody knows that. And it can be very matter of fact when it doesn't work out. It's just like, it's not a fit. It's not like you suck or whatever. That's okay. But no matter where it is that you're finding someone, there's going to be a different recipe for what could go wrong or, you know, not work out. And, you know, you just hope you are able to kind of see around the corner with what those things might be. Yes, absolutely. What's your definition of success and what do you attribute your success to? My definition of success is just waking up every day feeling like I'm making progress. Like that's all I need and I'll find out what it amounts to later. Obviously, having a plan and goals is important, but success for me is waking up and if I get out of yoga or I get up this podcast or I end my day and I feel like I've made progress, then that's huge. Yeah. Because it's really easy. To, it's easy to stand still and life keeps moving. What do I attribute my success to? Curiosity, tenacity, creativity, resourcefulness, a certain amount of entitlement, talent, luck, good timing, good taste. Yeah. And just like a, a really great work ethic and an ability to create things that, whether it's fashion or a book, show people that like, with nasty gal, like you can be more confident. You can wear a motorcycle jacket and maybe that's like really edgy for you, but that motorcycle jacket is going to like alchemize you into someone who's just like a little bit more confident and it's clothes, but that was the spirit of nasty gal and girl boss did that in a way and business class does that in a way. And so I think creating things that strike a chord with people that make them feel like their life can be just a little bit much better. They can be a little bit more confident or their business can be a little bit better is what has worked for every business I've had and something I'm so proud of having cast into the world. Beautiful. What's bringing you the most joy in your life right now? I think just like little house things. Like I went to Target yesterday and I got like their $25 like jelly sandals and like I have a really bad mirror and lighting in my bathroom. So I got this so I could be on your podcast. Like I'm in a 500 square foot like hut in the jungle. It's not, there's not a lot of like creature comforts. What else did I get? Oh, a $20 acacia wood cutting board from Target. Just like a $12 lamp. And I'm like, this corner's dark. I got a $12 lamp. 
I don't know, just like little kind of nesting things because I'm stuck here for a little while because I don't want to deal with my roof in LA or I just don't want to be there while it's getting repaired. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to invest a little bit in like making this place slightly more comfortable for myself. And that's like, I don't know if it's retail therapy or because I'm actually investing in like a little world here, but um, I'd say that's it for now. That's so nice. I love it. So beautiful. What are you working on or would like to improve within yourself right now? The main thing I have to work on within myself is impulsivity. Mm. So we talked about moving fast and making decisions, but I can also be really impulsive as if I'm like some abstract painter who's just like, yeah, you know, that's going to work. And it's like, that's not always how you should make decisions. And I have to hold myself accountable to that. So I'd say like impulsivity, it's so strange and I don't, it's not like I'm doing things that are going to devastate my life or super risky, but I want to have a plan. I want to stick to it. I don't want to deviate from it too much. And I don't want to do, I like spontaneity, but impulsivity is a different thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know the difference, but <laughs> it sounds good. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I think I need a little bit more you know, act a little bit faster. That's what I need right now. You mentioned before about your work ethic. Was this something that you got from your parents? The work ethic and curiosity go hand in hand. And nobody handed me a job or a college education or a business or investor money until I built Nasty Gal to 12 million in revenue. So it's also just need, right? I was like, wow. I can make more money than I did at my stupid retail job selling stuff on eBay. This is crazy. And I want to learn more and I want to better myself and I want to become better at styling and have better products and, you know, market better, write better copy or better product descriptions. It was just like a, a rabbit hole that I found really fun to go down. Like building a business is an opportunity to learn about yourself and as someone who didn't have any siblings, didn't really have to share, didn't have the college experience, didn't really have to work on teams that much, building a business has been an opportunity for me to experience that and navigate it in a way that I didn't really kind of grow up with, for better or for worse, because there's definitely yeah, consequences to that. And so need, for the most part, like, Whoa. And also just like, I can do this. Like who let me in the back door? <laughs> like they think I'm a business person, like, which I am, but I started not as one. And I also was convinced that I wasn't a business person because I didn't have the right education until I built something. So I think there's all, always still just like a little bit of like a punk kind of like, I don't belong here in a good way. Like there's imposter syndrome, but then there's like, I'm like, I'm an imposter in a good way. Does that make sense? Like I snuck in the back door and like nobody actually knows, but I'm, I don't belong here, but like, whoa, check me out hobnobbing with these big wigs. Like that's entertaining to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. Besides your books, <laughs> what is one book that you would choose? 
that book, Michael Singer. I know you know this book. The Untethered Soul. Yeah, that's a good one. Yes, it's a beautiful book. And then maybe a something about finance, like personal finance, like the things that they don't teach you, that like nobody knows, and especially women, money. Like, what is that? I don't know what that book would be. Probably just a dummy's guide about personal finance and the stock market and investing and saving and debt and good debt and bad debt. And I don't understand all of this even completely today. I think that is something that should absolutely be taught in schools. Totally. And tax, understanding your tax and super like your 401k, all of these things. Like, why are we not taught this in school? It's not good. It's really not good. It's really not good. So yes, I agree. I love Michael Singer and someone needs to write some sort of money book for, maybe it's out there. Maybe it already is. Who knows? I know. It's a problem. They have a marketing problem, whoever did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about how your day looks now. I would love to hear about all of your little rituals and things that you do from the moment you wake up. Talk us through a quote unquote typical day in your life. And I know no two days are ever the same, but talk us through like how you flow through your day. I wake up, usually to an alarm. I look at my phone, stand up. I might make my bed, take my night guard out, <laughs> then I brush my teeth, and I wash my face, but sometimes I just splash water on it because I'm like, it didn't get dirty while I was sleeping. <laughs> Unless I'm like really getting ready for the day, but if I'm going to go to yoga or something, a perfect day, not every day, this week will be yoga 8.30 or surfing at 8.30. If I can get a coffee before that, I will. I bought a coffee maker that's not here yet, so I'm buying coffee. So someday it'll arrive on this island and I will have a coffee maker. And then I'll get coffee after whatever those things are. And then I'll get hungry. And then I'll be like, oh, the avocado toast here is so good. And I'll be like, don't eat bread. Don't eat bread. You're going to get inflamed. You're going to hate it. You're going to look like shit. Your face is going to get puffy. And you're going to feel like shit. Like I'm really sensitive to bread, but I love it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And then I'm like, go eat. So you have food at the house. I'm like, okay. And then I might eat the avocado toast. And sometimes I'll sit at the coffee shop and work on my iPad. They don't have Wi-Fi, but my iPad has like cellular service. So I can like, it's outside. I can just like work remotely there. And there's chickens and baby chickens running around under my feet. That's always really entertaining. I might have a third coffee. Then I'll come up to the house and like do phone calls from here. I don't know. Sunset, I might go to the beach. If I didn't surf that day, I might surf in the evening. Or I might just be here and like get cracked out and learn how to use Webflow. Like I'm learning how to use this website building software. And I was doing that until 1 a.m. last week. So like, was that healthy? No. And those days, did I exercise? No. Like, did I wake up feeling like crap the next morning? Yeah. So It varies, but I would like to have a day more like today than one of those days, even though I was inspired and having a lot of fun building a website. I love it. It's also really invigorating learning something new, learning a new skill and diving deep into that. All right. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? No. (laughs) (laughs) They're super easy. Don't worry. Okay. What is one thing? that we can do today for our health? Drink water. Mm -hmm. Yes. Drink a lot of water. Yeah. 
and drink salt in it sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. Make sure you have electrolytes and minerals and stuff. Yes, absolutely. What is one thing that we can do for our wealth? Don't live on credit cards. I mean, just spend what you have. Like, don't spend money that you don't have unless you're leveraging debt in a way that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's another thing. We need to learn about that. Good debt and not so good debt. Yeah. Totally. It's big. There's a lot to learn. But why are we uh, not taught this in school? I don't know. Yeah, we'll find that guest for you and I'm going to listen to that episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the last one, what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Just be grateful for the love that you have. Don't forget about the people who love you. You may not have the kind of love that bachelor sells to you or romantic love. You may not have the love of your parents, but there is love. Everybody's loved and leaning on the people and reminding yourself of the people who do love you rather than thinking about who's not there, what kind of love you wish you had. Well, be happy with what you have, I guess. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's very easy to focus on yeah, the things that we don't have, the love that we don't have. But what about all of those people that are showing up for you right now, that are loving yeah. on you? Instead of focusing on that one negative comment, focus on all of the beautiful comments. Instead of focusing on these negative or the things that we don't have, start to look for all of the areas or the ways that it is there in your life. That's why I'm such a huge fan of gratitude. It's it's changed my life. It really has. Like it's very easy, especially with social media to look at everyone else and go, well, I don't have X, Y, and Z, but what about all of the things that I do have? A healthy daughter, thriving daughter, like a beautiful relationship, all of these things that are there. Let's focus on them. So I love that advice. All right, beautiful. This has been amazing. I want to hear, is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom? Tell us about your trust. Tell us about what's coming up for you. What's exciting you right now? I'd love to hear. Oh, trust fund. Is that what you're? Yeah. Tell us about the trust fund. I have a small venture fund called trust fund that I started, which is really exciting. And you can send me pitches at pitches at trustfund.vc. I just love working with entrepreneurs. So you know, whether it's through trust fund and investing in entrepreneurs or through teaching them through business class, business classes back in April, and that's at businessclass.co. And then I guess I would instill again to anybody listening that if you want to start a business, you can start a business. And it doesn't mean you have to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. In fact, you probably don't want to be. But the difference between the people who are doing what you want to be doing and you is that they just started doing it. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I'm so excited. I'm definitely going to check out Business Class. It sounds amazing. You are incredible and you are helping so many people. You're inspiring so many people. You are such a force. You are an incredible human being. So thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you for everything that you're doing, the books, Business Class, the Trust Fund, everything. I want to know what I personally and the listeners can do to give back to you. Like, how can we give back to you today? What would light you up? I love that because it sounded like you were wrapping up and I think we are, but I was like, I want to talk, I want to like connect with you more personally. 
you know, I would just like to have a conversation offline and be like, hey, cool. Like, what are you up to? I'm so curious. Like, what's working for you? Let me tell you more about my business or what I'm up to. So I think that. And then for the listeners, you know, if you have any interest in entrepreneurship, I have a newsletter. It's, it's like, are you doing something for me? You're doing something for yourself. And you can join that at sophiamarusa.com slash newsletter. But I don't know. It's like a lot of links and stuff. Like, what can you do for me? Just like, I don't know. Wish me well. Well, we definitely, wish you well. we definitely wish you well. Absolutely. Sending you so much love and so much health and abundance and joy and happiness. You deserve it all. We all do. We all, we all do. And I'm so excited to dive deeper into all of your incredible offerings and to have more of a conversation offline, which I'm very excited about. Me too. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you for being here, beautiful. I feel so inspired and so lit up and so ready to take everything in my business to the next level. I have so much inspiration inside me right now and I am just ready, 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 ready to do it all. I hope you got a lot out of this conversation and if you did, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all my episodes will just pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. Now, come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this episode. I absolutely love hearing from you. Now, before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest and happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock, my friend. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.